Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Lainey Mays. And Essie Ramirez. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, everyone. It's Lainey. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have another Editor's Unedited episode for you. And we're welcoming back Rachel Kahn, Executive Editor at William Morrow. Hi, Rachel. Hi, glad to be back. Yeah, glad to have you. I'm going to hand it off. You have a really cool interview for us today. Yeah, I sure do. I'm here to talk with author Kirsten Miller about her novel, The Change, which goes on sale May 3rd. So Kirsten Miller is a New York Times bestselling author. She's been nominated for an Edgar for her work in the young adult genre, including the iconic Tiki Strikes series. But The Change is her first novel for adults, and it takes everything that really made her YA books so cool and dials them up a notch for grownups. So it's the same smart, stylish, empowering with a sinister twist and a really knowing sharp eye. But the change is equal parts revenge fantasy, murder mystery, social satire. And it's just a really crackling good witty read that people are comparing to Big Little Lies and Practical Magic and The Witches of Eastwick. So. I'll sort of set the stage for us. In The Change, we meet three women who are in their 40s and 50s. They're at this turning point that a lot of us women reach in midlife. Our marriages and our careers get rocky, our children are getting older, and society seems to have just completely lost interest in us. And menopause, that big change that people only whisper about, is also on its way. But in this case, these women's midlife crises lead to something entirely unexpected and very exciting because they come into new powers. So Nessa, who is a nurse, begins to hear and see the spirits of the dead who have chosen her to help avenge their deaths. Joe, a former executive, finds that she can channel her anger and her hot flashes into physical power. And Harriet, who was an advertising maven, discovers that the natural world now bends to her will. So all three women become witches and they are about to use their new powers to hunt down the men who are preying on young women in the upscale beach town that they live in. So the changes, this glorious revenge fantasy for every woman who's been overlooked and abused and dismissed or women who wish that they could take all of their hard earned experience and just burn the world down with it. So with that, I am delighted to introduce Kirsten Miller. Kirsten, hi. Hey, <laughs> that was a lovely setup. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thank you. So why did you choose to tell this story about badass women? Why now? Well, I mean, there were a million reasons, right? So I think a lot of the plot, which I, I'm not going to get into right at this second, but a lot of the plot is sort of stolen from the headlines. Um, so there was a lot going on in the world that inspired me. Um, particularly issues surrounding young women, um, which I think we should all be very concerned about. 
But really, I think the number one thing was I am turning 49 next week. And I reached this point where, you know, it was funny because a number of things started happening. Um, the first thing was, it, I suppose this started a couple of years ago. I had worked in advertising for a long time and I've written books at the same time. I've led to very different lives in that regard. And I've always kept one foot in advertising because, you know, got to pay the bills, um, got to eat. And uh, I started going on interviews and, you know, I was pretty good at what I did. And suddenly I found myself being told that I was too senior for certain positions or that I didn't understand sort of the new form of advertising, which is a bit ridiculous. And it took me a long time to figure out what was happening. And it occurred to me that I had basically aged out of the ad industry. Now this happens to men too, at a, at a later age. But you know, it's I, I worked for years in the industry, and and looking back with hindsight, there were very, very, very few women over the age of forty-five. Which, you know, you you may think, okay, that makes sense, until you realize that women over the age of forty-five buy almost everything. Um, women in general buy or directly influence like 85, 90% of all goods. But women over 45, they tend to be, you know, people who are, uh, you know, more sort of economically self-sufficient and they're really important. And yet there was nobody in this in entire industry, you know, making ads to speak to people, to sell them stuff um, that reflected the people who were actually buying it. So that was the thing that started, one of the things that started, and I, I found that kind of annoying because, you know, got to eat. Um, but also, you know, I had a lot of friends who were turning around this, you know, they're all in their late forties as well. And, um, you know, I started hearing them talk about menopause or perimenopause and they would always whisper it. And I could not understand why this was happening because <laughs> I mean, have you had this happen? Like, have you had people? Totally. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and it's not something that we talk, I mean, we talk in the most graphic and sort of unashamed terms about things like sex. Yeah. But then when it comes to sort of what our bodies are doing later in life, no one wants to talk about it. No. And, you know, I, I mean, these were women who had, yeah, I mean, these are women who live in New York who are very, you know, sort of sophisticated types, you know, and I've had very active sex lives and, you know, social lives and professional lives. And yet literally like they'll talk, start talking about perimenopause or menopause and they'll lean forward and they'll say it several decibels lower than the rest of the conversation. And I, I really, I, so I started thinking about, I found it such an odd sensation, you know, this strange thing that was happening. And then I realized that my own mother had never once and I actually, I called my sister and, and fact-checked this. Um, I said, did, you know, she's two years younger than I am. I said, did you ever hear our mom use the word menopause? And she said, no. And this is unusual because my mother was the sort of person who would have talked about anything um, very, very openly about anything. She was a real badass, um, but she never used the word menopause. And that is problematic for any number of reasons, one of which is, you know, 
there have been health issues that have sort of come with this stage of life that I know that she also shared that I never knew were connected to, you know, menopause or perimenopause. So the fact that she wasn't talking about it, you know, really, I think, you know, it, it did my sister and I a huge disservice, not just in terms of, you know, knowing what was going to happen to us, but also just being prepared for the physical ramifications. It's true. And I, you know, I thought of this book when I saw a tweet not long ago that said, I think a lot of women have convinced themselves that they're sad when actually they're furious. Yes. And I feel like we all know women who that applies to, that we sort of hit midlife and a lot of women really sink into a kind of sadness and depression. But your characters in this book go with the furious. And they're really like righteously furious in a way that's almost giddy because they can direct all that fury. And to me, it was a big part of what made this book so much fun. Like how does the anger in this fuel the book in a good way. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, you know, I think you make a really good point. This is, you know, when you hear people talk, women talk about menopause in this stage of your life, you know, it's often spoken of as this kind of sad time where you're coming to terms with things. And, and that has not been my experience at all. You know, I would not want to be any other age. I have no desire to be younger. To be honest, my 20s sucked. My thirties, my thirties, my thirties were difficult for any number of reasons. And I finally feel like I know what I'm doing. I feel like I know who I am. I feel like I'm good at what I do. I feel like, you know, I have resources that I never had before. And, you know, so, so this idea that this is supposed to be a time of sorrow is just, I, it just struck me as completely ridiculous you know, and that is, you know, in terms of the, the powers that come with this time of age, I mean, think about it. Yes, in the book, they're exaggerated, but they're real, right? I mean, you know, at your age, what you're doing in a way that nobody 20 years younger does. You know, you have that wisdom, and you have the experience. In a lot of cases, you have the, you know, the financial resources, that have given, they give you a power that you've never had before. And I think it's really important that we as women make use of those powers. And I'm not, I I just absolutely do not buy into the, you know, the the BS, I'll be polite about it. Although the book certainly isn't, Uh you know, but like, I don't buy into all of this stuff. A long time ago, a woman that I worked with, and she was a great woman. She, she told me, she was like, you know, you're going to reach an age where you become invisible. And I thought, hell no, I'm not. Uh-huh. Why would, what? <laughs> like, no, like, you know, even if people don't want to see me, I'm going to re- refuse to, to, to disappear. Like, I mean, that's just so, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I think all of that, I, I think a lot of women feel sad at this time of life because they've been told that that's how they should feel. And that's ridiculous. Look at your life. Look at what you have. Look at all your experience and your wisdom. You know, this should be the best time of your life. You're able to do things you could never do before. Well, one of the things that I love about this book is the, the fact that these women transform literally into witches. And it's such a cliche because we 
as a society, like use that term for women we hate, women we want to disappear, like you're saying. Um, and this book totally is like taking back that term because you are selling the witch phase as something really awesome. Um, can you talk about how you sort of developed these characters as, uh, because they're not, they're not like the witches of fairy tale. They're not even like the witches of practical magic. They're, they are Avengers um, yep. and they lead like really badass, awesome lives once they've come into this power. Yeah, so I mean, the witch thing, I, you know, I'm really fascinated by witches. Obviously, I think everyone is. And I think there's a reason that witches are having this real moment. Um, and I think it's because women are for the, I don't know, for the first time, but the, you know, this, this, this sense of, who we are and what we're able to do is growing. You know, we are we are very powerful in lots of different ways that we were never before. This is literally, I mean, think about it. This is the most educated, self-sufficient, like generation of women in the history of humankind. The history of humankind. So I think like, you know, this idea of, of us finding powers is, is, I mean, I, I think that's just, it's a, it's a byproduct of what's actually going on in the culture right now. And, um, you know, it's the witch thing, you know, one of the reasons that, it, I mean, it's been in my head for a long, long time, but for, for years, I used to, uh, I used to work with a man um, and very, like a cl very close relationship uh, professionally. And he would always call me a witch and some he, times he did that in jest and sometimes he did it in anger, um, but he meant it, you know, even though he tried to pretend that he didn't, that it was just, you know, a word that he threw out, he, he meant it. And um, I was never quite as upset about that as I probably should have been. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I, I knew that he was calling me a witch because I was someone that he could not control and someone who could do things that he couldn't. And both of those things were very threatening to him. And, you know, that's, I think the stage where we get to, right? Where you're really good at stuff and you, um, you know, know what you're doing and you aren't going to sit back and let somebody tell you what to do. And that makes you threatening. And I think that that is where a lot of that sort of, I think that's where witch is an insult comes from. Mm -hmm. um, it's women who don't obey. Yeah, women who don't, women who don't um, fit into the narrative that, that society wants to tell, right? You know, women who do their own thing, women who don't play by the rules, Women who, you know, live a little bit longer than, say, you know, uh, men would want them to. You know, it's, I think it's, that's where witch comes from. It's, it's their, witches have always been female outliers. You know, mm -hmm. the, women, the women that aren't understood and who, who, who don't do what they're told. And these women really turn it around on the men in their town. And I should say there, there are, good men in this book, like there, there are some really um, wonderful husbands and love interests. Um, 
you know, and boy toys in this book. So it's not, it's not a book that, um, you know, kind of consigns all men to this one category, but, um, what's, what I found so satisfying about it too, is that these women really do turn it around on the guys who, who would keep them in those categories and who in some cases are, are just outright predators. The main villain of this book sort of, this isn't a spoiler really, is a Jeffrey Epstein-like very wealthy man and these women wind up pitted against him. Yeah, so I think it's important. I, I really do wanna you know, make it clear that you know, this is not an anti-man book. I really like men. <laughs> I, I, have a, I had a wonderful father. I have a wonderful brother. Uh, I, I'm even extremely fond of my ex-husband. Um, they're all really great guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, there are certain men, the, the men in this book that, that the protagonists go after are a very particular kind. And yeah, when I said that the earlier, the, the plot is, you know, borrows from headlines, Jeffrey Epstein was definitely one of those headlines as was um, Dominic Strauss-Kahn, people forget about him. He was, uh -huh. the, he was the head of the IMF who um, uh, assaulted a woman who was cleaning his room at a hotel here in New York and uh, the Long Island serial killer and any number of men um, who abuse young women and who treat young women as if they are disposable. And I think that that's, you know, I think it's, look, I'm 49. I have a daughter who's 13, um, who is entering what I would call the Bermuda Triangle of femininity. Uh, and a lot of bad stuff can happen to a young woman between the ages of, say, 13 and 19. And so it's something that I think about a lot. And I also think about my role as a woman who really does feel like she's come into her own and feels like she has power that she never has before. You know, our job as women of our age in protecting these uh -huh. young women and, and, and really making sure that this stuff stops. And I'd like to just give a huge shout out to my personal hero. Her name is Julie K. Brown. She is a writer for the Miami Herald. And she is the woman who single-handedly, single-handedly brought Jeffrey Epstein to the attention of most people in this country. He would have kept, he would probably still be doing exactly what he was doing if it was not for one woman who at the time was in her 50s, who was on a mission to bring his crimes to light. And she wrote the series of articles in the Miami Herald that got the attention of the entire world. And this was one woman against all odds who decided that, you know, these young women out there should not be treated as if they were disposable trash. And she went out and fixed things. And I think that that's something that we should all sort of look to do. You know, how can we make the world a safer place for our daughters? Julie Brown is also a, uh, a William Morrow author. That book was published by one of our imprints, Day Street Books. She's an amazing woman. Uh -huh. <laughs> she's, I was like, 
<laughs> and just as an aside, I was talking about Julie K. Brown, Julie Brown with my ex-husband the other day. He goes, oh, Julie K. Brown, not Julie Brown. Don't, don't confuse her with downtown Julie Brown. Downtown, <laughs> that's also where we're showing our age there, isn't it? I nobody, nobody under 40 gets that joke at all. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, Julie K. Brown is amazing. I, the, 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 the fact that she, and I mean, really, I mean, the story had been forgotten. He was out of jail. He was having dinner with George Stephanopoulos and, you know, and, and Katie Kirk and like, you know, big name people. Bill Gates. And Bill Gates. Oh God, right. you don't want to get into Bill Gates's role in all of this. But like he was out, he was he was back to doing what he had done, and she decided it couldn't be let that, that she couldn't let it go, that it had to be stop, and she she made it stop. And so I, I think that there's a lesson to be learned there that you know those of us who have reached this stage in our lives, you know, we don't have to go away. We can actually we can actually change the world. Um. You know, in I remember in your author bio, um, which people can read when they get the book, you talk about your previous career as an advertising executive and kind of the madman world of that. And your bio says you were proud that you quit your job over ad campaigns, like one of the ones that's depicted in the book. And we don't need to tell people can read the book to find out about to read that particular scene because it's absolutely fantastic. But um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it I think it really speaks to a lot of the things about not going away, about influencing what you can, and about what it means to be an older woman who really knows what the world is. Yeah, um, the advertising world. Um, yeah, the advertising world is a, an interesting place. Um, and you know, it's changed a lot in recent years. It's now uh, very, very uh, devoted to um, destroying democracy. Um, but uh, that's a that's a different story um, and a really, really dark one. But um, yeah, there was a, so there's a there's an ad in the book that um, is being presented to a team of people who work in an ad agency. And it is a, it's an ad that I think a lot of people find really shocking when, when they hear me say that it was a, a real ad um, or one that was, it never got made, but it was proposed and it was presented. Um, and it went a little bit further than that. But yeah, it was, um, it was very, very, very sexist um, in a way that, that really, struck me. I mean, I was, I was astonished when I, when I saw it, because I could not believe that the people who had created it, who I thought were really great guys, um, had come up with something like that. It just, it was just, there was a lack of understanding of women and a, and a, and a buy-in of sort of like all of these really creepy old fashioned values that you know, I, I never would have imagined that they they'd bought into or adhered to. And um, yeah, it, it went a lot farther than I would have wanted it to. And it was one of the reasons um, that I ended up uh, walking out of the job that I was on. It was 
the only time in my entire professional career when I actually just walked out of a job. Um, and that was, that was part of the reason. So it was then there was, you know, there was a lot of it's, you know, there's been some really terrible stuff um, that's happened in the ad world in recent years with sexual harassment and things of that sort. That was not, I did not personally suffer any sexual harassment. Um, although I know people who did, but, you know, it was things like, you know, for example, on a few different occasions at the last ad agency that I worked at, which was a huge, the biggest ad agency in the world. Um, you know, I was fairly senior person and would be, um, confused for, you know, an administrative assistant. And not that, you know, I have the highest respect for administrative assistance. Um, the woman that I worked with was an absolute genius and I loved her. Um, and I could not have done my job without her. But the people who were um, assuming that I was an admin did not think of it as a compliment at all. And it was always sort of, it was always a really strange experience. It was like, how do you respond to that? You know, and it was, you know, at the time I just found it incredibly embarrassing. You know, what was it about me that made them think that I wasn't, that I didn't look as senior um, as I actually was. And so it was just, there were, you know, any number of these things that would happen over the years. It was not a very, it was not a very good place to be a woman for the most part. Do you feel like this book and and some of your other books were kind of an, a, a response to that experience? Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, there's a lot. So I, I consider, you know, my favorite books that I've written. I mean, my, my very first book, Kiki Strike, which um, was meant for sort of young girls about my daughter's current age, 12, 13. Um, a lot of people refer to it as a sort of a, handbook for young feminists, uh-huh. <laughs> which is not why I wrote it. I just wrote it because I, you know, was entertaining myself. But um, it's um, it's very much about, um, you know, kind of tips for, for sort of succeeding in a world where you're not always taken as seriously as you should be. And how to, you know, if you are if you're underestimated, that can kind of be a blessing in disguise because you can you can take by people by surprise if they're not expecting you to be able to do um, as much as you can do. So, and I, I, mean, will, I will say that this, uh, when I was sharing this book at first, when I was sharing the change with some of our younger editors who are in their 20s, they knew your name because they had grown up with the Kiki Strike books. And so they really, and, and they were so excited to read this book, even though it's sort of talking about the experience of women who are 20 years older. Um, I feel like that, that same, you know, a lot of the same enthusiasm um, for those books written for that age group, it comes up to this book because you're doing the same thing in terms of talking about empowerment and, um, you know, the joys of being a woman, despite what happens to women in society sometimes. 
Well, you know, going back to the woman who told me I was going to be invisible someday, um, which, you know, wasn't a terribly nice thing to say, but um, okay. So I was, I was about 24, 23, 24, when she told me that. What if instead she had told me, you know, when you get to be about 45, you're going to figure out who you really are. And you're going to be able to do things that you were never able to do before. And you're going to have resources that you, you know, that you never had access to, you know, in your life. And think about how amazing that time is going to be. If I had heard that, it would have, you know, it's, it's not, even though it's, it was about women who were, you know, 20, 25 years older than I would have been at that point, it would have made my whole day. You know, some of the best responses that I've gotten um, or the changes concerned have been from younger women because they want to look forward to this stage in life. Nobody wants to think that they have, you know, 20 years left before they become invisible and nobody wants to see them or talk to them ever again. You know, I think that I think that's a wonderful sort of commentary too on one of the things that fiction can do for its readers, right? Is it it recasts the whole way that we think about ourselves and our place in the world? Yeah. Well, we 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 make sense of our lives by, you know, I mean, there are all these stories that society tells us, right? You know, you're supposed to live a life that hits these certain plot points. You know, you're supposed to go to school and then you start dating and then you go to college or or whatever. And, you know, then you get married and, you know, there, it tells you that your, your story is supposed to look and sound a certain way. And I think most of the misery in life and most of the bitterness and unhappiness come from people trying really, really hard to live a story that isn't for them, you know, and, and, I think letting go of all of this stuff that society tells us and actually living the way that we, that makes us happy. I think that that, that could change so many things for so many people. And that was, you know, I think that was the big revelation that I had about reaching this stage in life. It's like, oh, wait, I'm supposed to be miserable now. <laughs> really? Like, cause it's kind of awesome. I I'm, I'm enjoying it. Like, so maybe it's harder to get a job in advertising, but you know what I can do? I can write a book. That's that, right. <laughs> that can, even with all of those jerks who wouldn't give me a job in advertising. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, yeah, just the story, you live your own story, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's, you know, you don't have to do it. You don't have to try and fit into what you've been told to be because, you know, everything has changed so much. Like, why is that any of this? Why do we have to live, have our mother's lives or our grandmother's? I think that's actually the perfect place to wind up here. So I'll just say, live your life, become a witch if that's what you're into um, and, and change the world. And so the change comes out May third. It is an incredible read. I'm really looking forward to everyone getting a hold of this book. And thank you so much for talking with us, Kirsten. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com.
Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.